In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast hope everybody's having a beautiful day or evening or lunch or or wherever you are i hope that the world is smiling upon you i hope you realize there's a little miracle about to happen for you i don't know what it is but i bet you there's something good about to come your way one thing that might be coming your way is this great show with an incredible guest i have right here the one and only alex mcnab lundbach as a seasoned navigator in the realms of communication, media relations, and personal branding. His journey from Downing Street to McDab Lundbach Communications speaks volumes. Your commitment to helping tech CEOs and leaders transition from subject matter experts to thought leaders is truly commendable. Navigating the challenges faced by CEOs and founders, you understand the struggle of moving beyond titles, the uncertainty in content creation, and the fear of going unnoticed. Your 15-plus years of experience spanning diverse organizations showcase a wealth of expertise in overcoming these hurdles. Your tailored services, designed to boost confidence in storytelling, strategically position leaders as thought leaders, and leverage existing resources, demonstrate a thoughtful and effective approach. Your emphasis on organic growth, authentic communication, and engagement resonates with the essence of building true authority. Whether it's collaboration, coaching, or addressing specific communication needs, your guiding hand promises to elevate profiles from mere names and titles to impactful thought leaders. I hope everyone is ready to embark on this transformative journey. Alex, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, and thanks for that introduction. It was uh, kind of certainly better than uh, than I could probably introduce myself, and sums up everything that I that I've been wanting to say. Um, so it is it is my pleasure to be here. <laughs> Wow. Well, first off, I'm stoked you're here, and it's uh, we we got we're crossing a pretty big time gap over here. But I think it's mm. I think it's relevant. I I think that the same way we can use this technology to bridge this gap in geography, we're bridging a gap in authenticity and leadership, and that's kind of what you're all about, man. Maybe you can give us a little bit of a backstory about where how you got here today and what you're working on. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I mean, what was really interesting is that as you were doing your introduction, and I know that that uh, that I, I also have it a lot in, in my marketing material is that word thought leader. And I know that, I hope that we'll talk a little bit more about that because yeah. of, as I think more, I actually start to hate that term more. But I'm going to go into that. I'm going to okay. go into that a little bit a little bit later. But essentially what, what I actually have always been about or what I've always been passionate about is leadership communications. And I think that when I started in communications generally, that was always something that I had kind of on my mind as something that I was just fascinated about. How we communicate, how leaders communicate, how we can communicate messages. And I've kind of done it a little bit, a bit of everything, right? So I've done commercial PR and I've done leadership communications. I've done video production. I've done content production. I've been a journalist. So in a way, I've kind of tried it all to figure out kind of where I slot in, which is what we're always trying to do, right? Like, where do we fit in in this world of, of ours? And I've kind of settled on leadership communications. And I'm going to keep and more use that term leadership communications rather than subject matter experts to thought leadership, because it sounds good, but I'm kind of, the more I said it, the more I questioned it myself um, about about this concept of thought leadership. So, hmm. um, but that's, that's kind of a little bit about kind of where I'm coming from, but it is about leadership communications. It's about actually, but it's not just about leadership communications because it's actually about how we all communicate. Yeah. And, and then that kind of takes a little bit of a spin of kind of like, right, so are we all leaders in our own right? We might only be leading our families. We may only be leading our partners. We may only be leading our, our friends or our social circles, but we are all leaders at heart, which means that we are all communicators at heart. We are all storytellers at heart. And if we can improve those skills, then we'll become better leaders, better friends, better partners, better people. And that's like, that's really, I think that what I'm starting to narrow down even further, like I started off by doing this subject matter experts into thought leaders. I was fascinated by thought leadership. I still am because I think that the kind of kind of what it actually is and what we've what what people maybe think it is is actually something different to what it actually is uh, in in certainly in my mind so i think that that's really fascinating and so i kind of I, I kind of caught upon that but really what it's about what i'm about is about getting people and helping people to communicate better because it is i strongly believe that it is the one skill that if you can if you can communicate better, if you can communicate well, then so much of your life is improved. Your relationships are improved. Your careers can be improved because you're better at interviews or you're better at communicating your messaging. You are have better relationship with people at work because you're communicating your ideas. And some, maybe some of those innovative ideas are getting implemented at work, which makes you feel better about yourself, which gives you more positioning. Maybe it gets you that promotion. Um, likewise, if you can communicate better, just when you're at the supermarket, you feel better about yourself, you feel more confident about yourself. So if we improve our communication skills, then actually, everything else in our lives can also improve. And I, I like that is a hugely powerful skill to have, right? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree anymore. Is it is what we're communicating meaning? Are we communicating meaning to people? Is that the thing that we're passing between us and what makes our lives better, whether it's internal dialogue or whether it's a relationship? Is it, what's the relationship to meaning? 
it's meaning it is meaning but it's also about making connections which i guess mm. is also connected with meaning so i i think you're right you could sort of say well you know what is it that we're communicating and right. i guess that's this kind of the second stage but i I do think it's about making connections. And I think that that's what really great communication does, right? When you hear a, an amazingly powerful speech, it, you, you you believe that it's powerful because you are making a connection with that speaker. Mm -hmm. When you are listening to a partner or you're listening to your family and they're communicating to you in a, in a way that's, that resonates with you, that makes you feel something, makes you feel an emotion, gives you that dose of dopamine gives yeah. you a sense of emotion all of that is is because ultimately what it's about is that you are making a connection and that's what also great communication makes so so by you right by communicating with with meaning by communicating your messages more succinctly more clearly with more gravitas you are making stronger connections and and that is really what life is about that is what society is about it's about making connections and about making actually meaningful connections you can make connections all the time but it's about making meaningful connections yeah i love it it's it's it seems to me maybe this could be paired with like neurofeedback like maybe if you could see what was happening in the brain as you're making that connection <laughs> is that too far out there like that might be a good strategy I don't think it is because I think that that is what it's all connected, right? Because right. you know, actually, if you take, you know, um, you know, when I when I asked you a little bit about kind of like, right, what are the angles of this conversation? What yeah. are we going to be talking about? And you can mention philosophy, and and I think that then you start talking about kind of like what is what is good communication actually actually doing? And that's when you start bringing in the science to it, like it's giving right. us a dose of endorphins, it is giving us a dopamine injection. Like basically we're all just drug addicts and that's what we're seeking, right? That is what yeah, we're seeking. Totally. We're seeking that next, that next injection of, of, of some kind of neurological drug that is, that is going to make us feel something. It's going to make us feel happy. It's going to make us feel sad. It's going to make a connection. It's going to mean something to us. And, and that's actually kind of what we're, what we're constantly searching is, is for that, uh, for, for those messages, for those stories, and for building those connections that actually mean something to us, which will give us, yeah, maybe it's a, a dopamine hit, or maybe it's yeah. an emotional hit, or maybe it's something else. Um, so, so I, th I think you're right. If, like, you know, if we could see if something, we were kind of yeah. constantly connected to a, to a, to a mind map to see, and, and, you know, and they have done those kind of studies in terms of like, you know, injections of dopamine and serotonin and all those things and what that actually means. But but taking the science out of it, really, it's about emotions. And yeah. it's about how communication and how different forms of communication and how stories and how making connections make us feel and how they build on our emotions. Yeah, there's a great quote that says, people may forget what you say, they may forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And like that seems to be the foundation of communication. And, uh, you know, I think it's Carl Jung who talks about everyone is a mirror in some way or a reflection of you. And when you can begin to see the, the negative things in people and realize, hey, that's a negative thing in me. I recognize that, you know, or that's a positive thing. I want to I want to I want that to come out in me like this. This idea of empathy maybe has a relationship to connection and, and this idea of people as mirrors as a connection. What do you think? 
Yeah, hugely. And and actually so much of, of communication skills is also about psychology. So, you know, when when we when we learn or when we when we hear about what good public speaking is, a lot of it is mirroring. Like, you know, so yeah. it, it's kind of like we feel empathy when we yeah, when we start mirroring maybe the way that people speak or the way that what people are doing if if someone is feeling very closed in if we start also getting very close and closed in too that makes us feel warmer that makes us feel yeah. like we're making connections it's making making us feel like we're making a stronger connection because that person is taking an acknowledgement in 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 how that person's talking how that person's feeling how their body language is so when we when we do mirror those reactions when we mirror someone's way of speaking you know, um, you know, who was it who said that, you know, imitation is the greatest form of flattery? Well, it's yeah. absolutely true. We feel a greater connection when when somebody is imitating us in sometimes, you know, minute, um, slight ways. But but it's that imitation that builds that connection. Do you not like thought leader? Because it sounds like it's condescending in some ways. Like this person's Ooh, a thought leader. Let, let's go into why I hate thought <laughs> okay, leaders. Okay, let's do it. Let's dive right into that. Listen, I just, as anybody will see, and everybody will go on my LinkedIn and everybody will see my webpage. And, you know, I talk about thought leaders a lot because I caught on to this subject matter expert into okay. thought leader. And then I actually started thinking about what that really meant. And really it was about improving communication skills. And, and the reason why I don't like thought leader is because it has been given this gravitas. It has been given this pedestal. It has been given this high and mighty, you can become a thought leader. I say it myself, right? You can yeah. become a thought leader. And and I really started kind of looking at it and going, what is it actually, what is a thought leader? Like, what does it mean to be a thought leader? Now you can break it down and you can start talking about what it means leading in thought. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. But how do you go about that? How do you start going leading in thought? And do you just become, you know, I look at I look at people who we regard as thought leaders and ask myself, like, are they really a thought leader and why? And there are some people, I don't know whether this is the avenue for me to name names of, of, the, <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the thought leaders who I don't really believe are thought leaders, but there are some people, let's say, who have made a name for themselves because they had a thought or more, more actually accurately, they communicated a thought that has, was already out there because a lot of thought leaders, i.e. thought leader celebrities nowadays, <laughs> they haven't actually had anything new to say, but they have had a platform to say it. So they have kind of brought to the forefront something that has been said before but then they suddenly get, it gets attributed to them the problem with that is is that then they be they see themselves as high and mighty thought leaders which means that every time they have a thought suddenly they're inspirational suddenly they are put on this pedestal again because they've communicated a thought they had well what if we could all do that right yeah. wouldn't that be wouldn't that be amazing? I don't know. I'm not sure whether I can be swearing on this podcast. Yeah, I'm trying to contain, want, of course. Kind of contain my language a little bit. But like, but why can't, but why can't we all do that? Like, you know, it's, and it's, and if we can, like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like, you know, is, and maybe our thought isn't really that meaningful. That also may be fine. But the, the, what that's kind of what I don't like is that these thought leadership celebrities, mm -hmm. 
to give them a title that I can't think of something else is 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 actually probably what I hate. So, and as a result, like people, we don't talk about them about like celebrity thought leaders. We just talk about them being thought leaders. And and what I don't like is 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 just this that you know they are experience they are subject matter experts in one thing, but then they become a thought leader, and suddenly they are a subject matter expert in everything. And and we can't be thought leaders in everything. And that's the issue that I have with. Maybe that is the issue that I have in thought leadership. So yeah. there are two sides to it. One is the fact that if we actually go down to the organic definition of what a thought leader is, then 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 I don't think that we should all obtain try and become a thought leader. And I and I and I don't think that because of the ways that I've just mentioned. Um but I but I also question whether thought leadership is really the title at all that we should be. Maybe we don't really need a title. Maybe it is yeah. just about, you know what? We can all be going out there and we can all be communicating better. And and if that is because you want to advance your career, if that is because you want to advance your relationships, if that's because you want to appear more confident and more uh, charismatic to your to your friends and to your family, cool. If that's because you want to do a TEDx talk or a TED talk, even <laughs> that's also fine. Yeah. But but like kind of know your reason for becoming a thought leader and actually then just stripping away that title of grandiose and actually say, what I really want to do is communicate better. And some of that will be communicating innovation, will be communicating something that's interesting, communicating a story, but that doesn't necessarily make me a thought leader. That just makes me a great communicator. And that's like, there's no problem with that. Like, I think that's a great thing. I think we can all be better communicators or we all should be aspiring to be better storytellers and better communicators, but we don't need to, or should aspire to becoming a thought leader per se. Yeah. That's really well said. I, I, I admire the breakdown of it. And after I hear you talk about it, yeah, thought's pretty vague. Like thought can mean anything. You know, you could be if you're a thought leader, does that mean all your thoughts? You're the leader in all your thoughts, you know? And exactly. Like if I <laughs> if I have a thought now, and I'm like, if I, I know what he's a thought I leader. Think, I think I'm going to go and get another coffee. I now I might communicate that to my wife. And my wife will say, That sounds like a great idea. I'm gonna go and have a coffee too. Am I then a thought leader? Because I have led that person in thought. You know, and so that's why when you really break it down as to what a thought leader is, leading in thought, leading with thought, what does that actually mean? You know, it does it have to be an inspirational, wow, that's amazing, this is breakthrough type thoughts, or actually can it be, you know, I've got a thought, I've got a viewpoint on this, and I'm going to communicate it in this way, and I'm going to do that through great storytelling, or I'm going to do that through charisma i'm gonna do that through mm. better communication skills and that's what thought leadership is that person may when you do that you don't need to have you know 50 billion followers or whatever <laughs> it is that you're aspiring to to become a thought leader but you are communicating your thoughts and your messages and your stories that are forming connections and you because you're communicating them in a meaningful way and that maybe that's what a thought leader is in which case we could all become thought leaders, but we've got to change the definition of that. You know, if we, yeah. if I go out there and sort of say, Hey, we can all be thought leaders. People will sort of say, you're, you're a fucking idiot. Like no one's going <laughs> to like, we can't all have 2 billion followers. We can't all do this. We can't all, we can't all have a TEDx platform. We can't all do this, 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 this. 
And, you, and I'll say, yeah, you're right. But that doesn't make us any less a thought leader. If we are communicating a strong message in a meaningful way, that's forming connections by telling stories. Yeah, in some ways, it makes me start thinking that it sounds so Bernaysian. Like maybe the idea of a thought leader is something that's given to us so that we we model our reality in a certain way. You know what I mean by that? Like a thought leader is someone that is told, hey, this person's a thought leader. Oh, we should follow them. In some ways, the idea of a leader means we, we need someone to think for us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in some ways, it's like, oh, I see what's happening. Here is a mask someone puts on so that everyone follows them around. But then the real guy's probably pulling the strings, especially when it comes to celebrities, right? He's the emptiest barrel makes the loudest sound, man. <laughs> Some of those barrels are pretty empty. <laughs> I, I think you, 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 there's a good part of that. I think that societally, I think that we, maybe psycho psychologically, we we do love celebrity of course sure. we do like you know that's that's how all of these reality tv shows these celebrity programs why tmz or whatever it is all of these channels that talk about celebrities and what they have for breakfast we actually we actually care maybe a thought leader in the traditional sense of the definition not sort of a, a new found definition of it but in the traditional sense of the definition maybe thought leader is just what i don't know like an intelligent celebrity a hmm. corporate celebrity in that sense like if we think about the people that we think of thought leaders right and some of them are so i'm not i'm not putting them all in the same category here but we think of people like um simon signing of course and i have my own views on him but people like richard branson people um maybe even like bill gates like uh, you know the people that we see yeah. quoted people we see right. with a you know fancy background and a, and a quote Actually, they are corporate celebrities in their own right, but because they are, say something like, oh, that is really profound, even, even if it's actually not that profound. But we, we assume it is because they are a corporate celebrity, if you will. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's really interesting about, again, like going back to the title that we bestow yeah. on, on who we think are a thought leader. Whereas, you know, I see plenty of people on LinkedIn, for example, where, you know, they have maybe a thousand or a couple of thousand, maybe even less than that. But they'll come out with something which is a fantastic story and it means something and they have a message to it. And it and I instantly feel a connection with them because they have told a message and they've told a story in a particular way and something that they've lived and they've put out there into the world. Now, you could say that they are a thought leader. They are communicating a thought and they have led in thought because it's made someone yeah. think in some way, shape or form. Um, but we will never bestow the title of thought leader on them because they don't have millions of followers and they haven't appeared on Diary of a CEO and they haven't got a <laughs> TEDx talk. And, you know, that is what we regard as someone who is a thought leader. But actually, you know, there is a thought leader in all of us. And again, that that kind of sounds shitty in marketing, but, but actually... <laughs> when you when you you know that's that is what i'm all about like we are all inherently story great storytellers yeah. we should be you know since we've been sat around the goddamn campfires we've yep. been telling stories to each other we all have innate storytellers in us and actually that's what i believe a thought leader should be aspiring to you know telling stories but communicating a message with meaning and making connections through the telling of those stories and that's what a a thought leader should be so when i go out there and say you know what i think we can all be thought leaders 
and people will sort of say, wow, that's that's bullshit. Like, you know, you, you, we can't all have a TEDx talk and we can't all appear on Stephen Bartlett. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we can all tell better stories. We can all tell stories better. We can all yeah. communicate more meaning in our lives uh, and to, to the ones that mean something to us. And we can all form better connections. Yeah, that love- to me is probably what being a thought leader actually is. And, and the reason, and, and sort of just to conclude, the reason why, it, you know, I started and, and, and why maybe I'm going to start moving away from using the term thought leader is because of this misinterpretation of what thought leadership actually is. And, and so instead kind of bring it back into kind of like, well, what do I actually do? And that is, and how, what do I actually want to do? And that is to help people communicate better, to have, to give people more confidence, to, allow people to communicate their thoughts, their message, their career, their stories in a better, more meaningful way that makes stronger connections. That's what I'm really about. And, you know, I, I think that that's something that, I, that I've come, you know, the moment I started using the word thought leadership more and more, I realized how much I hated it. And, and, and so now I'm in this kind of this crossroads where, okay, cool. I'm going to start changing my marketing material, but also I actually want to start talking to people like yourself about, why I'm not going to be using that term going forward and what I actually believe about this term thought leadership. Um, and, and also because I think it's actually a term that's going to become redundant very, very soon. Mm. I, I, you know, like all of these things, you know, there are certain terms that we all kind of jumped on the bandwagon of, you know, and then two years down the line, no one's using it or they just think it's, you know, old fashioned, like, you know, it, it, we've even stopped using influencers. Now we're content creators. Well, isn't it the same fucking thing? But, <laughs> but like, you know, so then you're like, well, what is an influencer anymore? Do we not like influencer because it's got this bad reputation and maybe thought leadership is going to be like that. Like, you know, we are, we are going to start sort of saying, oh, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not right to be seen as a thought leader, you know, the same way that now we kind of have this negative interpretation when we hear the word influencer. So we started calling them content creators instead, because that just sounds a little bit more higher brow, but actually they're doing the same thing, right? They're content, they're creating content to get awareness, to inspire people, to influence people when they're doing it via branding deals and everything else. So it doesn't change the fact that they are, influencers just because they're calling them content creators now <laughs> like it just sounds a bit better i think yeah i i like it i it may, it brings to a question to my mind that you know when we begin changing the words we use i think we we change the way we model reality i think a lot of like the subject object relationship and in that, you know, if, if it's sentence structure, at least in the English language, but in the sentence structure, we have the subject-object relationship. And, you know, it's it's really a very linear way to see people or relationships. This is a subject and an object. It's so, on mm. some level, it's so, it frustrates <laughs> me because it's it's mechanical in nature. And it's like, you're a subject, you're an object. But no, I'm a human being, damn it. I have all kinds of dimensions to me. I have all kinds of weird angles and like different things that, but when we when we find ourselves stuck in this subject object relationship, it's really hard to have an original thought. It's really hard to see things from, you know, this perspective or this different angle. But maybe maybe that's what's happening. Maybe we're shifting gears from it just being a subject object relationship, and there being another avenue into this. And that's why we're changing from influencer to content creator because we're shifting our focus and the way we we use our language. What is that? What do you think? Is that too abstract? No, I don't think it is too abstract. I think that's probably true to a certain extent i i think that people like things they 
they like it to be kept simple. Like you know, it's, it's like you know, and that. Yeah. But I think that that is why we give titles on something. Like when we yeah. when we when we hear the word celebrity, let's go back to that. Like if we okay. when we hear the word celebrity, we we instantly know what that means. Yep. Like we don't have to sort of say, you know, instead of saying celebrity, we could say someone who has a TV show that got at least one million viewers, someone who is recognized in the street. But we don't. We have to give them a title. And I think that's a little bit like Thought Leader. Like, you know, now it is like this this kind of corporate influencer or this uh, famous intellectual, <laughs> you know, but we have to give them a, some kind of title. So at the moment, that's Thought Leader. Mm-hmm. Further down the line, maybe we'll think of a different right. term for it. So I think that that's what it's really about is it's about giving a title on something. And then that is, as you say, like that is the problem with that is because it actually oversimplifies things, you know, and I, and and you say you have that sort of subject object, you know, that's, you know, I always think of that when also when we go back to companies, right? So when yeah. we think about companies, I, one, one thing I really hate, so this is, I'm just going to, I'm going to start by saying this is a bugbear because one okay. thing I really hate is when people you in terms of language, when people use places as speakable things. Um, so the White House has said, well, the White House hasn't said anything. It's a big white building. <laughs> but you can say the president has, President Biden has said. And, um, you, or, 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 you know, back to my world, you know, Downing Street says, well, Downing Street hasn't said anything. The prime minister has said it. But you don't want to attribute it to the prime minister, maybe because then that sounds too political or something else. So it has to come from the institution that is Downing Street. But kind of going back to that, like one thing that we have done for so long, I think we're getting better at it, but we've done for so long is this idea of corporate language mm. and 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 speaking in a corporate way. And what really fascinates me about that is that so much of corporate language nobody uses in as human beings. Like it's like they are trying to speak as a building, as an entity. Mm. And 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 I don't know quite why that is. Why can't they speak as human beings? Actually, why why shouldn't we all be speaking as human beings? After all, that is what we are. Buildings and entities and organizations can't speak. They can't have a voice for themselves. So this kind of language of, you know, we are terribly, we are, ter- um, uh, let me think of a different way. So it's, you know, um, I apologize for the inconvenience. Let's take that as an example. Okay. Nobody speaks like that. I <laughs> promise you this, that nobody will ever speak to like that. You know, we're chatting now. If I if I could have knocked something over and the computer fell down and I lost camera and I lost sound, I wouldn't come back on two minutes later and go, I apologize for the inconvenience that this has caused. I'd say, sorry about that. I knocked something over. So why do corporations insist on having this kind of language? Why do we insist on talking about, you know, I hope this email finds you well? Well, the email isn't going to find me anything. You can talk to me like a human being. Let's start there. And I, I find that really interesting. And again, like going back to the thought leadership, going to talk about how we use language, being better at language, being better at communicating is 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 actually about making connections. And you can only do that when you actually speak on a, a human to human level. And, you know, I, I, I think of it the same. You know, I used to say it now it's becoming a bit old fat. Um, old hat because people are kind of maybe overusing it too much and so people just got bored of it 
But I used to say, or I used to hear, and I used to kind of repeat that there is no such thing as B2C and B2B. It's, mm -hmm. about, it, it's, it's about human to human. Because whenever we are talking to someone, whether we're talking to a business decision maker or whether we're talking to an, an individual who's going to buy something in the high street, we are talking to human beings. So this kind of like, and then it got overused and people started to say, oh, stop talking about human to human, human to human. <laughs> but actually, like, you know, it is, we should still keep saying it because so often we don't speak like human beings. We speak like organizations. We speak like consumers. We have to sort of say, well, yeah, but what's business? Like, how do we, how do we market B2B? How do we market mm. B2B? And how does that compare to B2C? Well, just market like you're speaking like a human being to human beings. And maybe let's start there. Like, you know, rather than overcomplicating things, you know, it must take more work to think about how is a better way of saying, I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe we could just say, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it's about having brevity and clarity and shortening things as well. Like, you know, there's lots of kind of intertwined skills that we can bring into that about how we can, we can kind of be more concise and clarity and brevity. But, but that's what it comes down to. It's about how, communication should be about human to human because there is no other well i guess now we've got ai so that complicates even more things but in theory there is no such thing as non-human to human communication on some level i think it's not a bug it's a feature you know when you look at large multinational corporations it's much easier to give an employee a number and you know, this, this is employee 10724 and they're not being very productive. You know, they have this, this jargon that they use in, in, in large multinational, but I think that that it's much easier to replace, uh, employee 175 than it is George who just lost his kid. You know, on mm -hmm. some level, I think that that particular language serves a purpose and it's, it's, it's willful. Like it's, that language is inserted to talk like a building. The white, you can't, you can't, get mad at the white house but you get mad at joe biden you know in some ways it seems like legalese has penetrated the the humanity and found a way to exclude themselves from from being responsible you know in some ways maybe language is, is a way to get out of responsibility and that's what that language seems i think like you, i think you i think you're absolutely right it is that but the problem with that is that when you get out of responsibility you also lack empathy you lack yes. human connections like you know Thank so you. i think that's the you know when you think so let, yeah you could have given the presidential example and um taking policies out of it because otherwise i'll i'll get shouted at when this goes on out. i know we're live as well but when this goes out you know right. i'll get shouted at for start, right. to starting to bring presidential politics into it and i'm british and i certainly don't have a, i can't have too much of a view on that but as you absolutely said like when you communicate as the white house has said and right. white house policies and the executive branch has said this you distance yourself right but by doing that you lose empathy and you lose connection and yes. so people feel more disconnected with their president. And we hear that kind of language, you know, I'm your president. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm working for you. Yet they still insist on this kind of corporate, the White House has said, the executive branch has released a statement saying da, 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 da. Now compare that, again, very face value because I'm looking at it from, from outside of the US. But, you know, at very face value, look at, compare that with the communication of Obama, where he's perched on the corner of yeah. of of of, the, of of his of his oval office desk where he's doing chat shows where he's doing um 
you know, comedy pieces, when he's doing sketch shows, like we instantly feel a connection because actually he's talking more human. Yeah. And I don't know whether there's any research in this, but I would love to look at, um, and actually even when you look at Trump, like he did build connections through his yeah. communication. You know, you can't deny that. Actually, probably I would say more so that, than, you know, Biden is because we don't, now, now, whether that's because, you know, it appears to me that Biden struggles to be able to even string a sentence together or whether it's and, and, and so hiding behind a building helps. But say what you like about Trump, say what you like about Obama, depending on what camp you're on. You know, I don't care. That's not right. what this topic is about. Right. Because actually what both of them did was communicate like human beings and form connections. Now, you argue whether that's the right kind of connections. You can argue whether the messages that they say is right because they're speaking to the minority or the masses. But they made connections like, you know, and they and they did that through storytelling or they did that yeah. through communicating their message with greater brevity or clarity or whatever it is. Like they both did that in their own ways. You know, you could argue more so than 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 President Biden is doing doing now. As I'm sure that there are yeah. lots more presidential communications experts who will say differently but look, just on a face value that's how i see it and i think it's really interesting when you compare those communication styles because biden is a lot more well i'm the president i'm the face of the executive branch but i the communications will come from the executive branch and and I, you know i think that that's um i think that's that's super interesting you know how we how we distance how we distance that yeah i do too i What do you see, like when you when you're working with people, with whether it's maybe you're working with a group of people or an individual, what is the long term goal to try to get them to do? Is it is it to communicate more on an empathetic level? Is it to tell themselves a better story so that they can then tell a better story to the group they're with? Or what is it that that when you work with people that you're trying to shine a light on? I think it's about communicating their authentic self. And I think that it's being, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan or a big believer in people being authentic. Uh, I would like to say more authentic, but actually being authentic, actually, in, in, the, in the very level of things. So a lot of, uh, you know, I think there's, there's two sides to it. And it's, it very much depends on the individual because they all struggle with different things. But I think that ultimately what it's about being authentic it's about it is about doing that through storytelling because i think that we it is easier or it's strongest if we can make connections via the stories that we tell and by the experiences that we've lived but it's also just being about understanding who you are and communicating that and sometimes it is soul searching sometimes it is a little bit about knowing yourself better than that then maybe you even realize that you know yourself. And so many times, you know, when I when I sit down with people for the first time and, it, you know, you, you start off by sort of saying, oh, I think we're going to we're gonna just going to do this in a very conversational way. And it's really interesting that you said that, because that's exactly how I work with clients. Like people think that I'm going to go, right, what's day one of training? I was like, well, day one, there is no day one, day two, day three of training, really, because that's not the process that I go through. You know, I my process is maybe a lot more like a like a therapist would approach a client like right it. you know yeah. i like the power of organic conversation and and 
And actually, because then that goes back to what I believe in, which is about being human to human and about communication being human to human. So it's, you know, I do, you know, I come from a journalist and I come from broadcast journalism. So, so I use, I'm used to sitting down with celebrities or politicians or whoever that may be and interviewing them. And my style was always conversational. My style was always about, I just want to get to know you a little bit better. How am I going to get about to do that? Because then if I can get to know them a little bit better, then I can encourage them about how they communicate those messages. And, you know, I have clients that say to me, sort of say, like, I've got so much to say, but I don't know how to say it. I was like, okay, cool. Say it to me in organic conversation then. Let's get that out of you through organic conversation and you'll find that you do actually know how to say it. The same way that people come to me and say, I'm terrible at telling stories. I was like, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Like, I bet you when you were in the pub with your mates the other night on Friday night, you told a fantastic story. I bet you did. And so some of the questions that, you know, I might start by sort of telling, you know, telling me a little bit about your career, telling me about where you started, tell me about this, tell me about that. You know, more often than not, I start about just kind of loosening up, just kind of like, tell me about your morning. How was your commute to, oh, we don't commute anymore, do we? We all just work from home. But how was your commute? This, how was your walk upstairs this morning? How was, you know, what did you, have, what did you have for breakfast? What was the school run like, you know, for me? Like, you know, what's the weather doing? Getting them to tell those kind of maybe small stories first is a way of getting them to tell stories that maybe then might lead to kind of more grandeur messaging. Because, you know, we all learn something from the experiences that we have. And it's actually really just about about retelling those stories. And and actually the retelling of those stories is not so much about retelling the stories, it's about reliving them. Mm. And how do we, once we relive them, we can retell them. And, you know, those are the most powerful stories. When you think when yeah. you are with your friends or your family and they tell, you know, a really powerful story, the reason why it is so powerful to you, why you make those connections is... It's because they're reliving it. Like they're laughing with you. They're they're remembering things as they go because they are literally reliving the event in their in their minds. And that's when the story is so powerful. When you they are not just telling the story, they're reliving it. And that's also how we need to kind of see it. And often that comes out through my method of you know organic conversation. Let's just sit down. Let's just get to know you. Let's just chit chat. Let's find out more. Like, you know, you and I could be having this conversation yeah. in a completely different way. It's, you know, it's, you know, where, and I have done interviews and podcasts where it's, you know, question one, question two, question three, <laughs> question four. Thank you very much. Have you got anything else you'd like to say? <laughs> and, you, you know, and when you do that, I kind of sometimes, and, and I'll, I'll do that too. And I could, but I sometimes come away at the end of that thinking, what, what have you really learned about me? Like, have you really kind of got a sense about who I am? Have I really got a sense of who you are? Have I really communicated everything that you think that the listeners want to be hearing? Um, and and maybe they do or they don't pick up on that. And maybe sometimes you'll never really know. But that organic conversation is when stories and experiences and et cetera are, are, are communicated. And when you really get a true sense of someone's self and, and whether you like them or dislike them, and there's no right or wrong with that. But you get that through organic conversation. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And that's that's some of the best stories that I've learned from or that I've been enthralled by or on the edge of my seat have to do with fear and vulnerability and the way in which a person found themselves walking through those or working through those or conquered them or got conquered by them. And the, 
when you have to relive that, that's difficult to do. Even though those can be the best stories and usually are, it's very difficult to get to someone to have someone relive that, especially if they're not ready to relive that. It is kind of like therapy in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that that is when things become, you know, maybe the most powerful. Now, uh, talking about thought leaders a little bit, but also talking about about how maybe that happens in uh, in, in a real life example. And and one podcast that I'm, a, I'm a, actually a hu- kind of a huge fan of, I was going to say kind of a huge fan of, yeah. kind of a huge fan of, is the diary of a CEO. And I mentioned it earlier as we were chatting. The reason is because whatever you think of Stephen Bartlett, I may have my views. I've never met the man, but I may have my views about him in the context of this thought leadership thing that I've already talked about. I I maybe have a few issues about that, but credit where credit's due. He is, I don't know what it is, but he is very good at getting people to open up. He is very good at getting people to tell stories where you really feel connected. You really see maybe a different side to somebody. And, and those are the true stories. Now I feel like, you know, those have been the most powerful stories that I've listened to on that podcast. The ones that I feel like are least powerful are the, you know, thought leader scientists or the thought leader doctors that come on spout, whatever they want to spout. And, and, and it sounds breakthrough and it's amazing. And it's an interesting, supposedly it's an innovative thought because they're saying something different about ADHD or something different about diet or something different about what we should be eating or drinking and we should be quitting coffee and blah, 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 blah. I hate those less. Sorry, I I hate those more. (laughs) You know, I I don't, those are the ones I don't listen to. But when you get the real honest, open up type stories, when you, as you say, when you hear those struggles, when you hear those lived experiences, and, you know, some of the most powerful ones I heard of that series was Stephen Fry, Richard Mm -hmm. Hammond, people who have, have been, now I'm not saying that all of the other people that he's had on have also gone through stuff. But but those are just two examples, and there are others where people have communicated really hard hitting stuff, and you really felt that emotional connection with them by by them opening up, by them telling stories, and in 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 and in, in being honest, and and yeah, showing that vulnerability. There's a big part of that. But people are scared to do that. Like again, it goes back to the you know the White House has said, Downing Street has said you know, maybe there is a nervousness about opening mm. up. There's a nervousness of, about showing, sometimes there's nervousness about showing emotion. Like, you know, I, I, particularly with leaders, yeah. we feel like leaders shouldn't show emotion. Leaders shouldn't be showing any kind of vulnerability when they're in that powerful position, you know, particularly world leaders. You know, it's very, they sort of, you know, we shouldn't, they shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't be doing this. You know, we see the reputational crises pop up when that, when they do something that they think is unpresidential or not like a prime minister should be, should be behaving like, you know, we saw that for example, with the Finnish prime minister, you know, a video was released about her partying. God forbid a young person has been seen partying. She's no longer allowed to do that because she's, because she's a prime minister. I find that even though it was, I don't know. Like I find that really interesting. Like, you know, the, uh the persona you know the the environment that we put on people like you know where we um we we can we impose how someone should behave based on the position that they have whereas actually maybe we would just open up a little bit more if if we saw them more as 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 human beings and they communicated as such and that includes vulnerability and that's you know sometimes when it's those connections are made 
most powerfully is is when we do have that vulnerability and 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 uh, and make a connection through that. Yeah, yeah, it's well said. It sometimes the story is through act, like hearing. You know, an example is when when trauma strikes you. I'll give you an example. When I was in a few years ago, like seven years ago, my wife and I, we were, we were getting ready to have our first child. And like everybody that knows, like your first child, like you pack the bags, you're getting ready, do the Lamaze class, you know what I mean? And you're like, okay, what do I do? I got to count to 10, one, two, three, four. And you know, it's all these things are going on and you're preparing for what's happening. And, and, you know, I'll never forget. We're waiting for her water to break. And it was like month nine and we're we have the car stuff packed. And my wife's like, Hey George, we got to go to the hospital. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, are you sure? Cause I didn't see your water break. She's like, we got to go to the hospital. I'm like, okay. But there's like this weird aura of like wrongness. You know, sometimes when something's wrong, it's palpable and you can feel it. You know, and it's just mm. like you can, you know, there's a problem. And we rush to the hospital and we go into the emergency room. And, you know, there was a, we walk up to the counter and my wife's nine months pregnant. And, and we go, oh, you know, we need to get into the hospital. We think there's an issue right here. And the, the nurse looks at us. She goes, okay, fill out this paperwork and we'll get you right up. And so we sit down and we fill out the paperwork. And, you know, there was a bunch of people in the waiting room. And one guy gets up and he's like, um, I was here before them. And, uh, you know, uh, my arm is really killing me. And I don't know why you gave them paperwork first. You know, I'll never forget that part of it for some reason. I'm like, and the lady's like, she's pregnant. You know, she didn't call him a dummy, but she's like, that lady is nine months pregnant, sir. Please sit down. I was like, yeah, thinking to myself, like, good for her. You know, and, and so they rush us up to the, to the room and we have our own room and our doctor's not there because she's on call, but there there's obviously doctors in, in the delivery room and they, they come in and they shut the curtain. And at this point in time, like I can look at my wife and I know there's a problem, but it's dead silence in the room. And the guy comes up and he hooks up the ultrasound. And like, for me, this moment was one of those moments. I'm sure people listening to this in yourself have had these moments where time stands still. It's just, you know, there's no heartbeat. There's nothing. And it's just like, the ultrasound's up, and I look at my wife, I look at the doctor, I look at the ultrasound. Look at my wife, I look at the doctor, I look at the ultrasound. And it, it feels like an hour's gone by, but it's just me shifting my focus between these three different, the, the, my wife whom I love and this doctor I don't know in this machine. And the doctor turns to me and he's like, I'm sorry, your child has passed away. And like, you know, like it's one of these monsters. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? What, what are you talking about? This what? And it's it's through tragedies like that. Like it's it's those tragedies. It's these ideas of the horrible things that shouldn't happen to anybody. And it takes a while to integrate these things. But when something like that happens to you, you know. It's imperative that when you figure out how to integrate it, that you tell that story. In some way, I think you're given a gift. You, as someone who went through a tragedy, you are now given the sight to see other people, help them through it, to hold their hand through it, to see it before it may happen, to see it after it happened, to see while it happened. And it's those stories that happen to all of us. And every one of us has a story. Some of us may not be brave enough to tell it yet. Some of us may not have had the story happen to us yet, but I rest rest assured, anyone listening to this, your story's coming. And it's 
it's both magic and tragic. But I hope that when your story happens, you're able to capture the magic in it and tell it to people because that is what we're here to do as humans. We're here to tell our story so that other people can find where they are on the path. It's those stories that everybody has. That And maybe that's what everybody gets to be a thought leader for a moment in time. Maybe everyone gets to have their 15 minutes of fame. I don't think that's a great way to put it, but everyone gets to be center stage in front of the fire to tell their story to the rest of us. And I think that like that is a way we need to communicate. Like if I, in some ways I wish we could go back to almost a communal level where everyone could, maybe we could all, every Friday, everybody goes down to the, wherever it is, their campfire or their VFW or whatever, but they have that opportunity to do it, you know, and sometimes it's at the workplace sometimes it's at a family gathering. But I think that the idea of storytelling should be taught in schools or should be, I think more people should be listening to what you're doing because I think in some ways you're helping people tell their stories. That, that was just an example. I think it's important, right? Everybody's got a story. Yeah. And, and, and thanks for sharing that because I think you're right. I think that it, everybody has a story and you say some, not everybody, um, thank God have lived through tragic events like that, 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 that they are, able able to tell let, let alone be, right be, right be, be, yet. Be kind of w w willing to i think that the that opening up side of things whether it's whether it's a tragic side whether it's a funny story yeah whether, so whether it's something that's gone wrong mm. whether it's something that's tragic i think that there is there is something a little bit about you know i don't want to open up about that you know that's that's personal to me yes that's you, you know that's that's my life like why why should i open up about that i i, I think that there is, I don't know, like, you know, I, I'm not in any place to sort of say, like, you know, everybody should be saying about everybody about their lives. But I am genuinely, I am typically a very, a very open person and, and, you know, very, very open and very kind of transparent, generally tra quite transparent about my life now but i but, but yeah to be honest with you, i haven't i haven't always like i you know there's also you know in this world of social media as well yeah. like you know we live up to some kind of aspiration or we believe that we should be creating you know that's the another thing is the fact that you know maybe people don't like that because actually they want to be perceived as their life being perfect <laughs> and that's why they don't they don't tell those kind of stories the same way right. that we put filters on instagram or we right. or we we stage the perfect family breakfast when actually there's complete chaos going go, go, going on behind us and uh you know I, I think that that there's really an interesting of kind of vulnerability just actually in opening up and and being being honest and and being able to sort of be transparent now you're right not everybody is maybe able to do that but and and there are certainly some stories that 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 people don't necessarily need to go to i'm not sort of saying right everybody needs to have a tragic story right. everybody needs to have something that's going to make people you know make the listener cry or or or, or break, to do that or the other and but you know so maybe your storytelling is something else maybe it maybe it is yeah. amusing yes. but it, or maybe it's showing vulnerability in a in a different kind of way maybe it's sort of saying oh like you know this was a time where I fucked up. Yes. And this is, and this ones. is, how, and this is how I fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think I have not had a chance to beat to one yet, but I know that like, you know, in both in America and here in Europe, there are things called fuck up nights. Have you heard of these? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't heard of them. So these are corporate nights and, uh, and I'm no way am I being paid for, by the way, I'm not being endorsed <laughs> by, by fuck up nights. Ex -city. <laughs> but, but, 
I think that they're a fantastic concept. And the idea is that they are corporate networking events, but people get to go on stage. And instead of doing an uh, inspirational keynote, how I made two million pounds in two minutes type stuff that actually you see on LinkedIn all of the time. Right. Instead, they're kind of like, let me tell you about a time that I completely fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and people are kind of share and they revel in those in those in those stories. And I, I just I think that's a fantastic concept because it really is opening up that idea of vulnerability you know it doesn't need yeah. to be a, something as tragic as the story that you told us or, or or an individual's tragic story that they're retelling but it is a way of people being more vulnerable in their failures and mm -hmm. and opening opening up to that and i i think that that can be hugely powerful and i think that that's also a, there's a lot of there's a lot of finding yourself in being able to do that in being able to open up and sort of say yeah you know, there were times when I really hurt people. There were times when yeah. I made mistakes. There were times when I did things that was, you know, showed a lack of empathy towards towards another individual. There were times where I really shouldn't have treated someone like that. And, and, and I, you know, maybe I'll never build that relationship back, but I'm sure as hell going to try. But, you know, so maybe yeah. it's those kind of vulnerable stories that are, that are as important, you know, even if, if yeah. you, if, if you don't and god bless you don't have have those like really tragic moments that you that you're going to tell um but at the same time i also think that there's there's a th then the next part i guess is 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 why are you telling that story like mm -hmm. you know what's the what's your what's your message um behind it you know one I got asked the other day on a, on a different podcast, I got asked about like, you know, name a communicator that you just think has got, has just got it down, nailed it. Like just has just got it down to a T that you completely admire. And I went, I went fucking way back and I went to Aesop. <laughs> that is way back. But, and it is way, it is way, it is way back. Didn't, never knew the, I never, I never knew the guy, but um, he was a great communicator because, you know, Everything that I believe about communication, it being succinct, is it following a follow following a story pattern, mm -hmm. um, you feeling for the characters, you and and then at the end of the day, they're having a clear message behind that story. But actually, when you want, if you need to, if you wanted to go and study storytelling and about how stories are constructed that then tell a message, go and listen to to the the, the, the backlog. Of, of of Aesop's fables because they do all of those things in such a way that is so unique you know that I feel like actually no one has done since really that um you know to me he's 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 probably one of the world's world's greatest communicators because of that because of the way that he tells stories and then and then tells us a message now back at the time it was it was foxes and hares and tortoises mm -hmm. and whatever else that he was using to illustrate his points but Actually, if you take those those formulas, if you take those formats and and apply those to our own personal stories, can, uh, you know, apply that to our own lived experiences, yep. then you can come away with something truly powerful, you know, and and then you can kind of come away with kind of like this is the story. And what I learned from that is. And, 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 you know, how I now do things differently is because and or, or you know, I will never do this or I'll never do that or never disbelieve someone or whatever like you know whatever it may be so i think um i've lost my train of thought as to kind of <laughs> quite why i was kind of making making that reference but it is about understanding 
what you're trying to say with that story. Like, you know, I think the, the risk is that when we sort of say people should be opening up more, people should be more personal, is that people tell a tragic story and then like, I, I, I don't really know what to do with that information. Like, I don't really know how to come away with that. You know, so it's also then about communicating of like, you know, I lived through this, but I came out okay in, in you know, at the other end and you will too. You know, whatever you are going through, the sun will still rise tomorrow. You know, that kind of really yeah. that kind of um, that kind of message, that take home message that it's it's going to be OK, that life is going to be OK. And and I think that that's a really powerful message, actually, for sometimes all to hear, uh, whatever that may be. Um, yeah, it, is that your philosophy like do you look at your life as a story like when you begin telling things like is that your framework for your life like this is the alex story you know do you do you when you begin telling about your life do you look at your your life as like i'm the main character in this incredible novel and i'm i'm not sure what chapter i'm on or i'm on this chapter do you do you look at your life as a story I do sometimes. I, I, I have to well, admit, like, I, you know, I, I hear and I read a lot about, you know, people talk about, like, you know, well, what are the stories you should have? You know, you should have you should have the hero story or you should follow this framework or you should follow this, that and the other. And then, of course, one of them is that they sort of say, you know, you should also have your founder story. You should also have your your origin story. And I, I've thought about that a few times. You know, I, I do. I In a way, I have plenty of origin stories or founder stories and and i do sometimes think about that when people sort of say like tell me your founder story tell me your origin story it's like how far back do you want to go like you know <laughs> like, i don't remember like the day that i was born like i can't really I, i'm not sure if i can really recall that um so it's really interesting that you talk about that kind of like well what is a founder story versus an origin story yeah. or, or anything else but i think that that that's actually really it is really powerful when you start thinking about your life as a story yeah and and how you would put that down and how you would think about that like you know i think that you know maybe we should all be thinking about at some point in our lives when when maybe when the time is right or whatever but like at some point in life we should all be thinking about about uh, you know penning our memoirs so that we actually get a chance to be able to tell our life story and and sometimes it is those stories, those micro stories come out when we actually think way back. Well, well what, what happened then? Like, what happened now? And I've been going back a little bit as well more recently. I've been looking into my family history, uh, more, uh, f finding that fascinating on, on the different sides of the yeah. family. And as a result, you know, it's going through kind of old documents. It's going through old photos of me. And then I start thinking about like, wow, how did that? how did that shape where I am now? Like, how did I get from that to, to this? And the stuff that I've completely forgotten about. One example of this was, is that the other day I was uh, back in my, in my family home and I was kind of collecting together or like, Oh, this was kept and this was kept and this was kept. And I remembered, and this is something that for some reason I remember. And I remembered that I, I, I won a poetry competition when I was, I believe I was like nine or 10 years old. And then it, I start kind of thinking about, well, how did how did that impact where I am now? And here I am kind of thinking about how I tell stories, how I can write better, how I can communicate better. And yet, even at nine or 10, subconsciously, I was thinking a little bit about how can I tell a story differently and how can I get my story out differently? And 
what I will say is that the the subject that the title of that poem was called The Bully. And it was all about and it was about bullying. And I was bullied as a child. Like, you know, I had a kind of a pretty horrific childhood being bullied at school. And my avenue then was not to, you know, I could have I could have done. I guess TEDx probably wasn't invented then, but I could have stood <laughs> on a stage and saying, let me tell you about the, the last year that I where I've been bullied. But that wouldn't, maybe that wouldn't have been right. People wouldn't have gone, yeah, well, of course you've been bullied. You, you know, everyone's, you know, plenty of people have been bullied who are nine and 10 years old in, in secondary school. Like that's, that's not, that's not unusual. But my avenue then was, was, was through poetry. And then since then I've kind of gone back and looked at other poems I've written and kind of like, what was I thinking? Like, who did I write that for? Or what was I, what was going through my mind when I, when I'm, when I'm thinking about those things? So I think that that's really interesting when we start looking back at our, even our little anecdotes in our lives and how that has shaped who we are today. And I, I do now think back to that and go like, you know, maybe, maybe in one way or another, like even back at nine or 10, you know, something subconsciously, the power of the universe was saying, you know, you are going to be a communicator. You are going to work in communications. And th at the moment that th this is this is through poetry, you know, later on in life, you, you know, I did a lot of performing arts. So then that was my avenue of communication. And now it's about corporate communication and public speaking and everything else. So it's it's kind of it's followed a, a natural train of of, you know, there's been lots of kind of craziness in between all of that but ultimately this has been the, the red thread if you will <laughs> that's followed it ever since i was nine years old has been i've always been about communication and i've always been about finding an avenue for that communication i've always wanted to communicate to the world whether that's through poetry or whether that's coming on the true life podcast i've always <laughs> been about communicating to people and communicating to as many people as possible and now it's about helping people communicate better and uh, I, I think that that's that's something the more you think about it, the more I realize how powerful that is. Yeah, I love that. It, it seems to me that when we get to a point in our life where we go back and we start looking at our story, that's when we know we've taken control of the story. Now, all of a sudden we can see that that red thread or that Ariadne thread that has ran all the way through. But at the time we, we were like, well, I guess I just did a poem, you know, but now you look back and you're like, of course that happened. How couldn't that have happened? And as soon as you can get that perspective, and this is why I love the idea of telling your, your life as a story is that it gives you the freedom to confront the things that happened to you from a third person perspective, from like the narrator's perspective or the author's perspective, you know, and you're like, mm. Oh yeah, of course I did that. Well, if I did that, and now you can move the story forward and be like, well, if I did that then, of course I'm going, I see the pattern in my story now, you know? And like, of course that was a threshold guardian. I you know what, I'm on the third threshold guardian now, you know? And I'm getting ready for the big fight coming. I start training, I start working out a little more, you know? <laughs> and then that, and that is maybe also when you when you start thinking again about those vulnerabilities, about, yes. those, about those weak spots, because yep. then you start thinking about, you know, because you, you might communicate it in one way. And generally kind of like, you know, we all, it, there's something psychologically about how we look at the positives in life, right? We look at, we look at all the, all of the great things that happen and we sometimes forget the bad things. And that's, that's psychological. Like you can't often do anything about that. Like we, we forget the negatives. And 
I think sometimes when you do look back, because you then look back at your life and go, oh, I did poetry and then I did performing arts and then I moved to China and did some broadcasting and then I came back and did and did corporate communications, including at Downing Street. And now I moved, then I moved to Denmark and, and, and now I'm and now I'm teaching other people to how to communicate better. You're going to go, cool. Well, you pretty much had your life like sewn up in, in one neat little journey, didn't you? I was going to go, well, no, because like between all of that, like it was like there were times that were really fucking difficult. There were times where, where, you know, I was struggling to make a living or there was times when I was doing X, Y and Z. There were times when I got myself into huge amounts of debt and had to try and crawl myself out of it and and beg for forgiveness from the people that I hurt through that. So that so, you know, on paper, do, 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 started writing poems. Now he's teaching communication. Cool. Happy days. But <laughs> But it's only when you start to question, like, but my God, has it been difficult getting here? And it's probably going to be still difficult in the years to come. Yeah. Do you realize how, okay, I now need to put those elements into my story too. I now need to sort of say, I need to, I need to open up more. I need, I, you know, and, and it's when you open up more, do you kind of realize, like, okay, now that makes sense. Now I trust that person a little bit more. Now I believe him a little bit more because he's being open and honest about these struggles that that person has had about the challenges that he's overcome to get to where he is today um and again it is about it is about empathy it's about building connections and i do think that we need we need those vulnerable moments to be communicated however small or major they may be in order for people to kind of feel some kind of empathy towards us now the risk is that people will hate that story like that you know how how could he how could he how could that possibly be like how could he have got himself into so much trouble how could how could he have done that i i don't trust him now because he did x y and z why would i listen to what he says about this when when he did this this that's a risk and but and maybe people are scared of that risk but i don't i don't have to be for everybody you know and going back to thought leadership you can you can lead one person in thought and that's okay and it's also okay therefore that you don't have to be liked by everybody you're not going to be liked for everybody you know you no one's not everybody's going to like you and the the real trick is being okay with that and and everybody will say well no of course not everybody's going to like it but are you really okay with that and are you okay with maybe only two or three people like you? Maybe or maybe only two or three people get what you're doing. But if you can truly, truly deliver something of value and make meaningful connections with those half a dozen people, then maybe that's good enough. And uh, so, so there's a there's a big there's a big part of that over overcoming fears overcoming fears of not everybody liking you overcoming fears of be showing your vulnerable side and 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 people finding you you know and, and sometimes you'll tell your real story and people will say oh, that, you know that that i'm sure that never really happened i'm sure that's just a story to tell like they won't believe you and that's okay too like you have to say well that's on you i don't have to have you believing me i just i'm 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 just opening up i'm just telling you my story and uh and, and hoping that that finds meaning for for somebody somewhere out there. Yeah, I I love it. Um, sometimes I wonder, you know, stories have been with us since the beginning. You know, whether you read the Iliad and the Odyssey, and, and sometimes I wonder. I'm curious to get your opinion. I had a friend tell me the other day that he thinks we're outgrowing the hero's journey. 
And that got, got me thinking about like, wow, is it possible that we could be in a period of time where a new mythology is taking place? And might a new mythology change our ability to see the story in someone else? Like if you look at this giant demographic you know, demographics that we have, like there's this giant demographic of baby boomers throughout the world. And it seems that a lot of them are knocking on the door to the mortality experience. And there's this new generations coming up. And sometimes maybe there's a lot of things lost in translation. Is Can you think of a time in the past, and is this even possible, where the stories, the foundation and the path of the story is becoming unrecognizable to another generation? Oof. I think, um, I do, in a way, I do wish that we are getting tired of the hero's journey or the hero's story. Okay. Because, simply because it goes against what we've just talked about, about that vulnerability. <laughs> like, you know, it suggests, you know, it suggests that, that there is a, that there is a, a hero to be had in all of us. Yes, or it suggests yes. that, you know, the hero's journey kind of has it, has it all like pretty much wrapped up? Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna say like when we talk about hero, right? I'm gonna take yeah. superhero super okay. use the superhero analogy. Like, I find it, diff you know, people sort of say, oh, like you know, you really feel for the characters and like, take Spider Man for example. At no point do I feel particularly sad for Spider Man. I think he's kind of got it. I think he's got life all right down. Like, you know, like he he gets to save the world. He ultimately gets the girl. Like and people go, yeah, but you know, he started, he started, he struggled, and he was bullied, and he and he overcame. No, he only overcame that because he got bit by a spider and got superpowers. Like he didn't really go through any struggles to get there, and and that's maybe that's what I, you know, you talk about the hero's journey. That when you when you, it's difficult to say hero and not think superhero. Yeah. So you can you kind of go back down down that kind of avenue, I guess, in a little bit. And I, I think the problem is with the hero's journey is that. It doesn't. It focuses on that word hero, and um, I know people sort of say, "Oh, like you know, the, another word for the hero's journey is the founder's journey mm. or the the, the the founder's story," and and so maybe that's different. But it doesn't. It still doesn't focus enough on on the trials and tribulations. It doesn't focus enough on the fact that there that there must be ups and downs. It doesn't focus enough on the true. I guess stories that need that, that are needed to get there, like the the the, the ebb and flow, if you will, of the story yeah. to get there. It doesn't focus enough on failures. It doesn't focus enough about the challenges that they overcame, and that's I think that's the problem that I have on it. Not not so much the actual framework or the formula, but more that. The, the way that it's titled this, it, that it suggests about how did that person become a hero and actually maybe maybe it's okay to focus on something else maybe it's about the, the failures story like you know mm -hmm. not not everything has a ha ha happy ending yeah. and and life doesn't necessarily have a happy ending in fact it doesn't actually we all end up dying so <laughs> there's something to said about like maybe maybe it's okay to say you know, this story does not have a happy ending, mm. but I'm still going to tell it because it is a something that's 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 powerful and we can all learn something from it. And 
we can all feel something about it. Uh, and that's okay. So, like, you know, maybe maybe we need to not necessarily replace, but we also need to think a lot about, like, you know, the the failures journey or, you know, something that didn't necessarily have a happy ending. The hero's journey suggests that there's a happy ending at the end. And, and I get it. Like, maybe we all like happy endings. Like, maybe we, maybe that's the thing. Like, psychologically, we really want something to have a happy ending. But I also think that the story is even more powerful sometimes when when it doesn't, because life doesn't. Yeah, I, I, on some, as we're talking, it makes me think that maybe it's something in our genetic code for life to move on. That's why we we celebrate that framework of like life must continue on in some way and we have kids and maybe it's retooling our relationship with adversity that can change the story to a more meaningful one where, where – and then I started thinking like, wow, what, George, what do you just want to tell sad stories to everybody? No one's want to listen to my stories if I tell only sad stories, you know, or but there's got to be more meaning in there than, than I think just that's the, the thing. And it yeah. does come down to meaning. It's like, yeah. you, know, like well, you can tell a sad, sad story as long as you take something away from it, as long yeah. as that there is, yeah. is, you know, and sometimes that meaning might be, you know what? I got to know that person a little bit better because of because of his vulnerability, because I because I heard about that particular time of, of vulnerability. Or maybe it's it you know you know it's it's a, you know the meaning is because um you know everybody thinks that I've got this all 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 locked up and and got my life made and and actually it's you know life has still been a struggle like it has been for so many people and 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 that's okay to tell the story. So I think there's still going to be a meaning that's kind of like what I said, really. There's still got to be some kind of meaning out of it rather than just, uh, well, that's a really sad story, but what, but what's, what's, what's the takeaway? Like what's, what's the, what's the part of it? And sometimes it might be like, but things are going to be okay in the end. And, and this, and this is why I'm telling the story is that, you know, the universe didn't have it all kind of figured out for you then, but, but it, it, it did, or it will, or, yeah, you know, so whether it's a hope thing or whether it's a you know some kind of message in in that toward towards the end. Um and and you're right, like it isn't just about it, it isn't just about about always telling sad stories. You want you do right. want that ebb and flow, right? You want right. you want to go from a, like I'm gonna tell you a really sad story now to I'm now gonna make you laugh. Or I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna break the break break the tension so to speak i'm gonna i'm gonna make you go through this emotional journey and actually that is what great stories do you look at any yeah. any movie the last great movie that you saw and you think about the story as that like that went through that ebb and flow most likely it went through a kind of like you feel sorry for a character and then their life gets better and you feel better for them and then and then, and then maybe something goes horribly wrong again but all the end it, i mean most movies end up with a happy ending but it, you know and so that it and it, it, it ends there um and uh so you kind of go through that kind of like i like this person i dislike this person i feel sorry for this person now i now i feel like he had it coming to him and then and then like that's the journey that we all go emotionally we enjoy those emotional stories like we need though that that roller coaster we need that that emotional journey ourselves to because we realize maybe in maybe subconsciously we realize that that's what life is all about there's always going to be ups and downs and and so when we when we hear stories that have those ups and downs those ebbs and flows we relate to them more and so therefore we enjoy them more we 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 get more from them however they end up whether they end up with a happy ending or not we still take something from it yeah 
I love it. I have this idea I'm working on. I want to get your opinion about it. So I'm, I'm, I think some of the people, well, let me start off like this. I've been speaking with some people who are death doulas and they, they'll sit with the people in palliative care as they're in their last few days. And, and some of the talks that I've had with the death doulas are, are mesmerizing in ways. And, you know, and anybody who's ever read a biography about someone they admired or, or an autobiography about someone that they've admired and they talk about their last days, you know, it's never, I wish I would have spent more time in the office. I wish I would have made more money. It's always, I wish I would have been a better husband. I wish I would have been a better person. I wish I would have taken more vacations. I wish I would have told my wife I loved her more. I wish I would have hugged my kid more. It's, it's all of these things, you know? And it seems to me that people who have gotten to a certain part of our life, their life, can look back with a clarity that most people can't get until you get there. And mm -hmm. so one thing I'm working on my podcast is that I've been reaching out to some people who are in palliative care and I want them to come on and tell their story because they have the best stories. They have a clarity with which they can speak to that none of us can thoroughly understand. And I, I'm curious to get your opinion. Like, do you, how do you think that would be received? In my mind, I have this idea like it could be a sort of virtual campfire where everyone listening could get the opportunity to hear someone tell their story maybe for the final time. I think there's a lot of gravity there, right? Like, what do you think about that as an idea and as a way to build a bridge between generations? It is very interesting. I think that you're right. I think that there is something that's very interesting. And I think that, that people would find very interesting about the, the learnings or the clarity that somebody has when they're, when they're in that stage of their life. Because I don't think that we ever really no and we also yeah. don't really think about like well what will we what will we think when we when we when we get there like when we yeah. what will we think when we when we hit that moment in time whenever that is hopefully later rather than sooner but whenever we hit that time that's our time like what will we think how will we look back at our life how will we look back at how we have treated it and as you say no one will say I should have worked harder or I should have <laughs> spent more time in the office or I should have done um, any of those things. Um, maybe sometimes those things are, are interlinked. Sure. You know, people might sort of say, you know, I wish I'd have been able to provide for my kids more. I wish I had been able to, to, to give them more experiences. Um, but in a way that that, you know, you'd feel like that would be the wrong, wrong way of looking at it because that's not what they're thinking. You know, they're not thinking, <laughs> you know, I wish dad had spent more money on me. Yeah. You know, they're just thinking, I wish I would have had more time with him, like, you know, or whatever it may be. So I think I, I think that there's something very powerful about that. And the same way that sometimes the most powerful stories that I've heard have been people who have have been close to that and, and maybe yeah. come through it on the other end. Like, you know, where what did they what did they have in their minds? Like what what were they what were they thinking when they went when when they went through that? And um and I think that more often than not, I think that, and I could be wrong, and maybe, uh, and maybe when when you when you'll get those stories, I'll, you know, I'll be proved otherwise, and I'm more than happy to be so. But I think most of those people won't regret much about what they've done. They might, they might say you kind of like a basic kind of like, you know, I wish I'd, I, I wish I'd done things, you know, had I would I be living it again? I'll do things a little bit differently. But that's not quite the same as regret. 
Yeah. And I think that when I look back at my life now, when I look back at my life story, there are certainly things <laughs> that I would probably do differently. But then every time where I think about like, well, I would do that differently. They're not about the choices that I made. You know, would I have stayed working in TV production in the UK or rather than pursuing some kind of journalistic radio career in Beijing? Well, no, because I went to Beijing and I met my wife and I'm now back in Denmark, living in Denmark with two wonderful children because all that because I made the random decision to go to China. And so, no, I, I don't regret that decision. Do throughout my life, I regret the ways that I treated people, the ways that, you know, how I know that I have hurt people along the course of my life. Do I regret that? And and if it, if I was in the end today or tomorrow, do I wish that I hadn't hurt them? Of course I do. You know, of course I would do that differently. But at the same time, there, in terms of the actions and the decisions that I make in terms of my life story, as, as we did it, like, you know, what did he go on to do in the stages of his life? I don't regret any of those things. So I think that more often we, that will be the biggest thing that people will say on their, on their last day is, is what do you regret? And, and it will be how you treated other people. And mm. if we can all think about yeah. that, if we can all think about that almost on a day-to-day -day basis, not in the morbid or kind of like, well, what if I yeah. die tomorrow? Like, no one's suggesting that you do that. You should also live life. But if you just think a little bit about well, what, what would you regret if if this was your last day on Earth, if the, if, not even yours, yeah. like, if, if this was, Earth was going to explode tomorrow, what would be what would be your biggest regret? And I bet most people would say it's how I treated other people. Um, because I think that we can all treat people better sometimes. And sometimes that'll be on a major way. Sometimes that will be like, you know, I really hurt people. I really, you know, I really, um, you, you know, it's unfathomable the, the hurt and, and um, sadness that I brought around people. But for other people it will be like, I should have treated that one person better. You know, I dismissed that person. Maybe it's a leader who sort of said, like, you know, I should have treated that person, that person that I fired in 20, 2007. You know, I should have treated them a little bit better. I should have had a bit more empathy for them. And uh, <clears throat> and I, I think I think that that's that's probably the most likely is that people will regret how they treat other people. And I, I and I think that if we can all think about that, sometimes that will also improve our life now so rather than it just yeah. being uh on your deathbed what would you do differently when you can't do anything about it if we start thinking about those things now then maybe we can turn our lives around or maybe we can treat people a little bit better and if we can treat people a little bit better and and communication of course has a big part to play in that as well yeah yeah but if we can if we can if we can communicate better maybe and we can start and as a result we can start treating people a little bit better then then maybe the world can be a bit of a better place and maybe that's very grandioso and very um, idealistic and and never was going to happen. But even on a small part to play, going back to thought leaders, you yeah. don't have to be a thought leader to millions and millions of people. You can influence the lives or the skills or something of one person. Yeah. And, and you've led them because you've made them think differently. And the same goes for maybe how we lead out, leave out live our lives if we can have more empathy if we can help more people if we can think about how we treat other people more and if if we can just treat one person better than we would have done had we not thought about it then we've succeeded 
And if we all think about that, then that in theory is something hugely powerful. Um, and as I said, you know, communication has a big part to play with that. And that's why I started yeah. today in our conversation saying just that, that when we improve our communication skills, we can improve so many areas of our lives. Um, and that's, that's, and other people's lives. I mean, that's also the powerful thing that, you know, you communicate a message clearly, you communicate with empathy, you, um, you treat someone differently th through more empathetic communication then then you also improve their lives too you improve how they think about you you improve maybe it's a it has that ripple effect yeah you know i'm a big said. big fan of that ripple effect of like you know if you can help one person then they'll help somebody else who helps somebody else and suddenly the world's perfect or something <laughs> yeah i think it speaks to your the what you brought up earlier too about authenticity where when you start when you start telling yourself a when you begin to tell yourself a story that is more accurate, then you can begin to have relationships that are better, that are more full. When you, know, when you begin to be honest with yourself, you begin having a more honest relationship. And that is that ripple effect out there. And, and maybe that is the way, you know, maybe it's what Gandhi said about if you want to change the world then be the change that you want to see, because that is how you know, you could affect a conversation like this could affect a hundred people, a thousand people, or maybe 10 people. But the fact that it radiates outward and can, can touch a handful of people, and then they can all touch a, few, a handful of people. Maybe that's how the world changes, you know, and it, it does seem through communication, through stories, and especially on the topic of death, because it seems so taboo in the West. Like everyone's so afraid of this, of this idea, like the, the, the word palliative, the root, the, the root, Pa, like pa'a means to shroud death and palliative care means to shroud this thing. And why do we shroud something? Because we're afraid of it. Or we want to talk about it because it's messy. We don't want to look at it. It speaks volumes of our relationship to it. So to uncover it and look at it, and then that can have the ability. It's interesting to think that someone who is facing death could give the gift of life to somebody else. Like, oh my gosh, I should change my life now. Like that's such a, it's such a powerful thing to think about. What? Well, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, about our relationship with death and how we communicate. Yeah, I, I think I think that we, that, you know, there's there's nothing to say that we that we couldn't or shouldn't. I think that it's trying to find the balance, right? It's mm, it's trying to yeah. find the again. It goes back to like the reason why you're communicating it. Like you know, I don't I don't think it it should or needs to be in the kind of the morbid of like you know, let's all think more about death, um, because. Because in a way, I feel like that's potentially a slippery path. It's also <laughs> potentially, you know, I also think that it's, you know, it is a. You, you've also got to realize that there are that there are people who will take that very literally, and that there are people who will think back on their lives and think that they haven't done mm. any good, and that they they haven't done negatively, and then and then and then you know maybe they're not in the right frame of mind, and and then they do something that 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 they all regret, you know, and and that's also another really interesting thing is that you know when you people who have been spoken to and they've done they've done interviews with people who, who have tried to commit suicide and, and and have failed and they all regret it like nearly nearly 100% of them regret trying to end their life when they're actually when they actually sit down and go like why did you try it or, or, or do you regret it or do you wish that you had succeeded they all regret it hmm. so anyway but my point being is the fact that like the, the problem with is or we need to be careful getting to the point where we are in a in a in a situation of saying let's all think about if we were to die tomorrow 
you know, what would we change? Because that could be a slippery slope for people who are maybe not in a frame of mind, mm. you know, in a, in, a, in the right mental state to be able to, to take on that challenge of thought. And, uh, and so it, it is a, it is a dangerous path that you need to tread a little bit um, with, with, with always, always going, you know, yeah. let's, think, let's think more about yeah. death because it will make us more reflective. But, uh, but I certainly think that we can, think about our lives and thinking and with the with the understanding that that you know we there's it's never too late to change like it's never too late to to change the way that you approach someone it's never too late to say i'm sorry it's never too late to show remorse or regret mm-hmm. um about about maybe the way that you've treated people or 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 you'd wish you'd always said something to somebody or whatever it may be. It's never too late to communicate. So even as you say, in those situations where you're in palliative care and, and you know, you know that the end is, the end is, is genuinely nigh, even then it's not too late to sort of say, you know, I wish I'd apologize to someone. I wish I'd treated yeah. someone better. You, you know, if, if at all possible, like now, now, now's the time, right? There's, there's no, <laughs> there's no other time to now's do it. Now's the time. So it is, a uh, it, it is, um, you know, I think that that then becomes more powerful. So rather than the, the the sort of the death, the morbid death element of it, just more about, you know, there has never been a better time like now to make a change, to yeah. uh, to change your behavior, to change the way that you do something in the hope that then that has that ripple effect. Like, yeah, let's go talk about that. It's, ultimately, it's all about that ripple effect. I think that sometimes thought leadership can be like that as well. Yeah. Like, you know, the idea, you know, true thought leadership is is when you know you you inspire one person, which then inspires another, which inspires another, which inspires another, which, and then you get that that um, that that ripple effect, um, which I which I think is is hugely powerful. And people maybe don't talk about enough that ripple effect people don't talk about that enough they just talk about having a million followers and what that means they don't necessarily talk about how actually it can be incremental or maybe they don't necessarily become followers of the original person who had the original thought but they are still having thoughts of their own they're telling their story more authentically they're talking about their life more they're communicating better win-win you know maybe it's not directly with the architect but the mm-hmm. ripple effect is, is, is definitely there. And that's, um, you know, I think that when so someone was asking me a little bit, you know, how do you measure thought leadership? Is it just about followers or is it just about number of engagements or comments on a post that seem to be interesting? But I don't think it is that. I think you have to look at the ripple effect. And that's really, I think, going back to where we started yeah. talking yeah. was about what a thought leader is. You know, it goes back to, it, it's not just about speaking to a million people or speaking to a few it's about communicating something that has that ripple effect that, mm-hmm. that, that can ripple through to more and more people. And that's when it's the most powerful. Yeah. It, it seems to me that a good commuter, a good commuter, a good communicator is able to be contagious with, with their thoughts. You know, they can convey it. It's like the same way, like inspir. It seems that there's two things that a, a, a co- can, there's two parts that are contagious and it's inspiration and desperation. And we see that from, from people that are speakers. Sometimes they're, they, the speech that changes the world comes from desperation. Sometimes it comes from inspiration, but 
what are those two horses pulling that cart in the world of communication? What do you think about those two horses? Yeah. <laughs> Continues to go deep, I guess. But uh, I mean, I, I think that they, they have a part to play. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I think that ultimately it is it is about again it goes back to the same thing. It's about it's about being authentic, right? And I, I feel like you've frozen. Have you frozen? I'm not sure if you can still hear me or not. Um I, I feel like I feel like the broadcast has, has completely frozen. Your picture has certainly frozen. Um, I'm hoping that it's not me. The live counter is still counting, so I'm, I'm ho hoping it's not me. It's just your video that stopped. But um, but I'll, in in case people are still tuning into the live, I'll carry on talking. Um, e even though I seem to have, your connection seems to have lost. Um, but I, I think kind of like what the, the interesting thing about communication is that it's it is all about authenticity, right? And it is all about maintaining authenticity that that also you're happy with. And, you know, when we talk a little bit about that, that ripple effect and, um, you know, I think that that's, you know, that's super powerful. And, you know, I, I remember last year, I don't know if anybody saw it, the, the, the Ryan Reynolds um, Christmas musical called Spirited, which as we approach Christmas now, I think maybe this is a good time to, 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 to mention it again. And, and uh, you know, they talk about this ripple effect, right? They talk about how the fact that, you know, actually if they can make someone better, if they can improve someone's personality, if they can make them a better human being, very much Christmas Carol-esque, um, then it's not about changing that one person. It's about the ripple effect that that then causes. It's about if you change one person's lives, they'll become better to somebody else, which will become someone better to somebody else, to become somebody better. So I recommend, as we lead towards Christmas, I recommend everybody to go and 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 watch the the, the Christmas movie, um, Spirited, with uh, uh, who is it? Ryan Reynolds and uh, um, ah, Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell and and Ryan Reynolds, and they're and they're spirited because I think that that is is. Um, it's it's a really it's a great movie anyway, but it is true about that ripple effect and and you know the the thing with the Christmas Carol, if you go back to the kind of the original version of that, is that is that the Christmas Carol was just doing was really that's what it was about. Like I mean, actually, that original was about just changing Scrooge Scrooge as a person, um, and they did that by looking back at his life and making him realize that there are changes that he can be, that can be made in terms of ultimately about the way that he treated people. And when he changed his, his view on that, people will look at that and then, and then go, right, actually now I can change. I can change. I can change. I can change. And, 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 you know, again, if we go back to kind of thinking about what a powerful story is actually the Christmas Carol is a hugely powerful story, but only if you see it in regards to having that, that ripple effect, Having having the idea of the fact that that something can you can affect one person's life, and then ultimately that will that will move on, and then we'll go on to somebody else. So I think that that's 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 hugely hugely powerful. And um... and I. 
not sure if, uh, if if George Monty is coming back. Um, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna hold on for just a, like a, a little bit longer um, to see if they're going to be coming back to this this live broadcast um, or or not. But I'm I'm, I'm certainly I'm I'm still here. Um, there isn't even a is there a is there a, 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 a chat that if people are are, are tuned in live, then um, then maybe you can ping some questions into 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 the chat and. Uh, uh, I actually can't see the chat, but anyway, it, me if if anybody is tuning in live and they want to ask some questions, it will certainly help me out um, because I'm not sure if um, uh, if uh, if um, uh, if, uh, if if George is, is is going to be is going to be coming back to us. Um, Uh, so, for if anybody is uh, is tuned in live or or not, I have just had a uh, message that uh, that George Monty's power has gone out in his house, which is uh, which is why his video feed um, cut. Um, so, um, so I'm not sure whether he'll be back uh, momentarily. Um, so, I will stay on there. As I said, if anybody is is still tuned in live, I know that uh, that that some people are um, may may or may not be tuning in live. So, if anybody's tuning tuning in live and wants to fire some questions in the chat. Um, the, uh, the, the the chat is is um, uh, is is live uh, and I can see it. So if anybody wants to kind of literally throw some questions out, then I'm more than happy to to help answer them. Um, well, we we hope that maybe George uh, comes back into into the live stream. Um, but I'll give it five minutes otherwise, and if not, then I will um, I will just have to disconnect and uh, and and maybe there'll be a part two uh, in some some point in the future. Um, uh, otherwise. Um, but um, but otherwise I I will uh, hold fire for for a few minutes.
All right. Well, I have just had a message uh, from uh, from George, who is uh, struggling to, uh, to to get his connection uh, connection back at the moment. I believe that his power power has gone um, in his house. Um, so we're going to cut the uh, cut the live stream uh, now here, or at least uh, I will leave the studio, which I assume will cut the live stream. Um, but uh, but thanks. Uh, I'd just like to extend my thanks, to George, for having me. It's been a fantastic conversation and. Um, uh, I will, um, for those of you who may want to kind of hear the the, the rest or the end of our our, our conversation, um, then we'll see if we can organise a part two um, or even recommence the live broadcast um, when uh, when power has uh, been resumed. But I also know that it's extremely late there in Hawaii, so um, maybe we'll do a we'll do a part two, um, which I'll be more than happy to uh, to take care. But for anybody who is uh, who is tu tuning in live, then. Um, uh, then uh, uh, thanks for joining me and uh, and George in this conversation. It's been a pleasure to speak to you all about my my views and my thoughts. And uh, and uh, do look out for the, uh, for the for the YouTube link and for the Spotify replay um, if you've missed any of this. Um, so thanks again and uh, and apologies that it's the end of the broadcast um, maybe a little bit prematurely um, after George had to leave. Thanks again.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.